I'd like to welcome y'all to Secrets from the South. I'm your friend, Scotty Ray, along with my co-host, Terry. Now, you'll quickly catch on that we don't sound like the man on the 6 o'clock news. We talk a little slower, and we've got a southern drawl. But nonetheless, we've got a great podcast lined up just for you. We'll bring you some interesting stories. They're sometimes crazy and a little unbelievable. But it would be just plain impolite not to share them. So get yourself comfortable. Find some southern charm and a glass of iced tea and enjoy. I hope you're ready for this week's show to begin as we'll head off to Arkansas and we'll also go to Kentucky to look for more haunted places and we'll talk about some more spooky ghosts. I hope you'll enjoy as we continue The Ghost Next Door, Part 3. Well, we're deep into October, and we've got more ghost stories and folklore to talk about this week as we have been for the last two weeks, Terry. Mm -hmm. Now, um, our guest is going to be joining us in just a little bit. Yeah, Dr. Alan Brown. He's done two episodes with us so far, and we're fortunate to have him back. And if you've never read one of his books, please pick up one, because it, it they are really, really great. He puts a lot of time and thought and research into all of this. He does, and, you know, otherwise, how are you going to find out about all these interesting places that he's actually visited too. I right. mean, it's not just he's researched; he's been there. Yeah, and uh, he he doesn't get scared. I've, I've witnessed him uh, on the job before. He yeah, does you've not been get with scared. him firsthand. Uh, now, a couple of places that uh, are going to be brought up this episode is Waverly Heights, and then also we'll go to the most haunted hotel in America. Uh oh, where's that? The Crescent City, and I think it's in Arkansas, is it? Uh, oh, that's right. Eureka Springs. Yes, that's right. I can't wait to hear this one. And plus, we've got some of our own stories and things that we've experienced that we're going to share on this episode. Things that no one, there's no explanation in the world that makes sense. No, and we're going to kind of dive into, can spirits or ghosts make things move? And I that's think right. we have uh, some stories that kind of, well, they kind of back that up. Yeah, and, and if you've got a story, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us several different ways. Oh, yeah, they can uh, email us at comments at secretsfromthesouth.com. Or you can visit us on our uh, Facebook page, Secrets from the South, several ways. But just get us your message. We'd love to hear from you. Who knows, we may have enough stories to do some more after this as well. Oh, absolutely, because when it comes to scary stories like that, I just find them fascinating, and we hope that our listeners do too. Well, Terry, let's go ahead and turn this over, and let me go ahead and ask Dr. Alan Brown. Alan, do you believe truthfully, really, that a ghost can move an object? What's your thoughts? I think it does happen. Now, whether or not it's ghosts doing it, I don't know. But I do think that uh, psychokinesis is real. There are, in fact, we have even changed our opinion of poltergeist activity. Thanks largely to story of the Bell Witch in up in uh, Tennessee, when there was a family, John Bell and his family, who were plagued by all these strange things that were happening: objects lying around the house, strange smells, that sort of thing. Well, they had a teenage daughter, who interestingly enough moved to Mississippi. That is interesting. And died in Mississippi. She, uh, Betsy Bell. Again, paranormal investigators who think that she was causing this to happen as her hormones were churning up. And, and they think that, that teenagers in a house can cause these paranormal things to occur. 
Not intentionally. It just happens. I think that's interesting, uh, Dr. Brown, talking about moving objects, because it's, it's very interesting that I heard a story, and it was about this guy that reported he was doing some late-night gaming. You know how it is, Scott. You're sitting up late at night. Like playing poker, you mean gaming? Well, I mean, I think he's talking about gaming on the oh, computer. Oh, okay. Now we... Uh, yeah, I you know, where that, that's big, big business. You can be playing against somebody in a whole different you know state or country, for See, that matter. See, it makes me feel guilty now. Is when Dylan was a kid, I didn't play that duck, duck, duck game with him now. Well, I don't know how. I mean, it's it's really big business. But he's up late at night, and he uh-huh. says all of a sudden his dog that's been hanging out with him starts barking in his dark bedroom. He's got the lights off in the bedroom. The dog is barking, like at the entrance of the bedroom and well, barking. a dog always knows when something is near. They can, oh, they can hear Oh, when my things. dog starts barking, I know there's something. Okay. So picture this. He's playing the game. He's in the living room. It's a dark bedroom. He can see it. He sees the dog outside of the doorway barking, looking inside the dark bedroom. Now, that'd be enough for me to say, ah, uh, I'm out of there. But anyway, he says he gets up to check it out, and he hears fingernails scratching the inside of his bedroom closet. Now, he's even brave enough that he gets closer, and he says he can hear that the scratching it does get softer and then it stops okay i got hair on my arms oh, I, 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 i'm gone i mean i don't even need to have hair on my arms because i'm gone by then but anyway he says he's standing right in front of the closet my arms and my hands would be shaking so bad it would be unreal and then he hears crash and he says he can hear stuff hitting the inside of the closet door i wouldn't be there to hear that stuff oh, no. i would be two miles down the road i agree terry i mean you would see this white woman run <laughs> so he says he does he says he goes straight outside he ends up getting a buddy that agrees to come back over and he says it's about 30 minutes later and they start to investigate they walk in they open up the closet and he says he finds all of his clothes and all of the hangers laying on the floor Okay. And there's no logical explanation as to how that happened. How do you go back in this apartment or this house and live? And that's where you're sleeping at night. You're closing your eyes. That sound of that chalkboard scratch, that is the makes my blood curl. I cannot stand that chalkboard scratching. Most people, and most people can't. Now, most rednecks at that point don't investigate very hard. They just take a pistol and shoot up amongst the closet. <laughs> and, and you know, I'm serious. When oh yeah, people absolutely. Get scared that own a weapon, they will. They shoot first and ask later. I mean, they don't care if the clothes are destroyed, but whatever is inside of that closet is going to be gone. Right. Uh, you know, no. If that literally happened, I would have very much trouble ever sleeping in that home again. Because that almost sounds like that evil stuff there. Well, and you know, and Dr. Brown just had talked about the facts, the, the fact that ghosts can, as far as he's done some research and he believes, move things. Oh, yeah. So what was going on in that closet? There's no logical explanation. Well, your mind goes to wondering, was somebody murdered in the closet and their body was stuffed there and they're trying to get out? To be set, Were they suffocated or, you know, that's what yeah, goes through my there, head. Is there history in that house, specifically to your point, in that closet yeah. that the owner or the renter, whatever, doesn't have a clue about. I, I, I don't know how I would handle that, but one thing falling off of a, a hanger, okay, yeah. All of your clothes falling off a hanger and the hangers themselves also land off of the floor. Now think about the, Can how I, does that happen? 
Right. There's no logical way that can happen. So let me put this question to you and, and just answer it honestly, just from the hip here. Okay. Would you buy or move into a home that you knew somebody was murdered in? Because we all know that happens every day in America, that homes are sold, that people were murdered in. Could you live with that? Okay, when I was a kid, there was a house right next door to me that a professor and his wife lived in. Right. Okay. The professor called in sick. If I get this, I think I've got this straight. And told the wife that he was sick, she needed to come home. And it was one of those murder-suicides. And obviously, the house stayed vacant for a long period of time. And as kids, and trying to muster up whatever courage I could get, we used to get in that house, and you could see, it's it's just gory to say, because, you know, back in the day, everybody had carpet. Yeah. But it happened in the upstairs, and you could see... It, the blood on the staircase too, like where, this is horrible, but where you, I can only imagine that she was probably trying to get away. Get away. And, but would I go as far as, as an adult, buying a house? And people do it all the time where they foreclose on a house and, but I'm saying you're fully aware of what went on in a home. Not after you get it, you hear, well, something happened years ago. You know it before you buy it. Could you do that? Um, no, but I would be closer if I had, if it's, if it, somebody said, okay, you got to pick, would you, you have to take one where there's supposedly ghosts and people have some stories to back it up in house A, or there's been a murder slash murder suicide in house B, you got to pick one. Now, obviously I would want house C, but if I had to pick, I would have to go with the murder suicide. But you never know. They could come back as ghosts. Oh, yeah. And then there's always option. And then option, I'm stuck with both of them. Option D to where you build your own house and you don't know what you're bar- uh, building it on. Oh, yeah. I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and that gets to the stuff that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks is that there's so many things that you don't know that you're either conjuring up with the Ouija board, as we talked about in one of the episodes, or you're taking home this piece of antique pottery or whatever it is or plate. Right. That has some, I, I don't know, you know, calling behind it or, um, I don't know. You just take all that for granted that there's nothing that's going to be conjured up, but you just never know. Now, no matter who you are, I would think that the thought of a child being a ghost would be one of the scariest. Alan, do you have a place that might have a child or two ghosts that lures or lurks around it? The Waverly Hills Tuberculosis Sanitarium. And it's in Louisville, Kentucky. The story starts in the early 1900s when there was a severe outbreak of tuberculosis around Louisville. So they built a a wooden hospital in 1910. It was uh, designed to hold 40 to 50 people. Well, within a couple years, they had about 140 people in there. And they realized they're going to have to build a new hospital. So they started building it in 1924, used bricks this time, and finished it in 1926. The uh, hospital was state-of-the-art at that time. Now, you've got to keep in mind that they didn't really know how to, how to treat tuberculosis. 
They believed that heat lamps would help, fresh air. They would take some of the patients up on the roof. They had a solarium where they would just lie down in the sun. They would give them reassuring words, thinking that if they revived their will to live, that they'll get over it. Well, none of these things really worked very well. And in 1943, a vaccine was introduced, tuberculosis, and this is when the hospital went into decline. It finally closed in 1962. At that time, a geriatric center opened up there, closed in 1982. It was abandoned. There were uh, a few entrepreneurs who talked about maybe turning it into a religious center. One guy's going to build a huge statue of Jesus on top of the building. Uh, Another man's going to build condominiums, but none of these ideas came to fruition. And in 2001, a uh, couple named uh, Tina and Charlie Mattingly bought it with the intention of restoring it. So they started giving ghost tours. And that's how they raised the money to restore it. Now, let me just stop you just for a second. So did they have any idea that there were ghosts, or they just thought that this would be a good selling point for them to raise the funds that they needed? Oh, yes. There were ghost stories were being circulated around Louisville years before they bought it. And they knew that they could probably capitalize on, on the interest in the paranormal there. They've restored a lot of the windows. Supposedly, it's, it, it looks a lot better than it did 20 years ago. Now, I went there in 2003, and when I was there, there was still graf- graffiti all over the walls. Windows were all busted out. Just pools of water around. I attended the Mid-South Paranormal Conference. I was a guest speaker. And afterwards... They took all the attendees and the guest speakers out to Waverly Hills for a picnic. And then after the picnic, we went on ghost tours. Now, it was the Louisville Ghost Hunter Society that sponsored this. So they took all these guys out to one end of this huge building. There were about four or five of us who were just sitting around talking. We were all guest speakers. And the uh, head of the Louisville Ghost Hunters. name is Keith Age. Keith said, follow me. We're going to take our own little ghost tour. We started walking up these stairs. Keith was in front, then Troy Taylor. He's president of the American Ghost Society. He was in front of me. And then behind me was Dave Goodwin. All of us have written books about ghosts. And we were walking up the stairs. Keith got to the fourth floor landing. He stopped and reached for the door handle and that door opened and slammed shut really fast i mean it made a loud banging sound well keith he's a big boy he is ex-football player he screamed like a girl (laughs) he jumped backward or troy he fell backwards almost knocked me down i was kind of po'd about it because i was sure that some of these guys buddies were out in the hallway messing around so i ran up the stairs grabbed a handle, and it was heavy. It was a heavy iron door, so a great deal of difficulty. I opened it up, stood there, looked up and down the hallway, didn't see a thing. I looked down, 
at my feet, and I saw a wet footprint, the shape of a woman's foot. And that's when the, the goosebump throws on my arms. That's the scariest thing I've ever seen. Oh, wow. I would be scared, too. And Keith said that they find those wet footprints all over the place. And there's no logical explanation as to why they would find those footprints, where they find them, and why they're wet? No, there is not. Now, there's standing water in there because there are some holes. At least at that time, there were some holes in the roof. If wind, uh, water would blow in through the windows. There are other ghost stories about Waverly Hills. There are, they say that, well, there's a body, a body chute. It's a tunnel, 500-foot tunnel, where they would take the dead people. And they would... They average about one death a day, and they would put them in a cart and wheel them down this tunnel to the bottom of the hill and load them up in a hearse. And they did that because they didn't want to demoralize the patients. You see all these dead people leaving, and and they say that there's a ghostly hearse that shows up and uh, picks up coffins and drives away. There is a little girl ghost who is seen around the solarium. And uh, bouncing a ball and seems fairly happy to be there in the uh, kitchen area. They see a man in a white coat who walks around in the cafeteria part. They hear uh, disembodied footsteps. They smell baked bread, of all things. One of the scariest ghosts they see is a woman who has... Blood on her wrist, apparently she committed suicide, and she stands there and screams for help. After we had this incident, it happened to us. We joined the other group, and we, we went to the fifth floor. Now, the fifth floor has the most haunted room. It's room 502. 1928, there was a nurse who uh, was not married, found herself in a family way, as they used to say, and hanged herself on a light fixture. Well, when you go into that room, there are no light fixtures, there are no pipes. That really isn't, doesn't appear to be any way she could have hanged herself in that room. But that story's been around, you know, for 90 years. They see uh, people walking outside the building, do see shapes inside that particular room, and they hear voices in there. Well, when we were on the fifth floor, we were sitting down at the other end of the floor, facing, well, looking toward that room, and there were, there was moonlight was streaming through these windows, and there were people who said they saw someone leave room 502 and walk across the hall to another room. I didn't see anything. But there were four or five people who swore that they did. So the hanging actually took place in room 502? Yes, yes, it took place there. And there was a uh, a staff member who, he died fairly recently, and he said it was a true story. Uh, but he said that he was also a patient there, and he said he was a boy when this happened. But he remembered it. So he was a patient there. He obviously was one of the lucky patients that recovered. Yes. Apparently he wasn't very sick. So that's Waverly Hills. And all the all the, the big... Television ghost hunting groups have been there. And they all say the same thing. It's one of the ten most haunted places in the United States. Wow. 
Again, if you want to see a ghost, then go join one of their ghost tours, the Mattingly's ghost tours. So, Scotty, would you go? I'd have to have somebody close with me. I, I love the thrill. I chicken out at the last. I have to have a – and, Alan, you can back that up. You know me. You, oh, yes. You've been around on me on some of these. Uh, yes. I have to have a little uh, encouragement because <laughs> I do get scared pretty easy over this stuff. Well, I think it's because there's an element of this that's just – we don't know. I mean, there's the, a high probability that ghosts do exist – and do you really want to be the one that encounters the ghost or not? I mean, I think it would be fascinating to see one, but I would imagine also that you'd have to probably clean your drawers out, too, after you did. So there's, you know, it's give and take. All right, Alan, you mentioned to me that you thought there was another place that was really, really, really haunted. What is it? The most haunted hotel in the United States is the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. It was built in Eureka Springs because they had 60 mineral springs there that supposedly were had curative powers. So in the 1880s, thousands of people flocked to Eureka Springs. In 1883, they actually built a railroad that would take people uh, up here, up there to Eureka Springs. And in 1886, they built the uh, hotel out of uh, granite that they quarried from a, uh, a quarry by the White River. And they built it without mortar, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and it's still standing. They must have done a good job. It was in business. It's very popular. It's very, it was a luxury hotel, a resort hotel. And it was in business oh, around 20 years or so. And in 1908... It closed its doors. I guess people were discovering that these the, the mineral water did not really have curative powers. And so they turned it into the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women. That was in business until 1924. Place it abandoned for a while. Then 1930, it became a junior college. That was in business for four years. In 1934, it was just, it was a summer institute. And then in 1937, this is the darkest chapter in the history of the Crescent Hotel. There was a charlatan, uh, some people call him a quack doctor from Iowa, who had to leave Iowa because he was practicing medicine without a license. He had no business practicing medicine. But he, came, he bought the Crescent Hotel and opened up a cancer clinic. And the cancer clinic was in business from 1937 until 1940 when he was found guilty of mail fraud and sent to prison for four years. Very strange man. Wore white suits and lavender shirts. He loved purple. And so he took, he painted everything and the hotel purple covered up all of this beautiful wood woodwork, even painted the chimneys purple. Well, they have the the newest owners have removed all the purple paint except for the chimneys. The chimneys are still purple. He had his own special cure all called Formula Five, which consisted of alcohol, carbolic acid, and uh, crushed watermelon seeds. 
That I mean, he does sound like a quack. Oh, he was. And you said he didn't even have a license. Oh, no. And no. he's trying to cure people from cancer. No, and he took their money. Terrible man. I mean, the he side would, effects that that medicine probably had. Well, he injected it right into cancer. He did make a, make a pretense of being a real doctor. He had a morgue downstairs, down in the basement. By the way, they give ghost tours every night at a Crescent Hotel, and they'll take you down to the morgue. I've been there. It is very creepy, I must say. The scariest thing that I think, creepiest thing that happened there, occurred in January of this year. They were expanding the parking lot behind the Crescent Hotel, and they found this dump where Baker had taken all these little specimen bottles that had tissue, human tissue in them, and he just dumped them in this big hole and covered it up. Well, they found them, as I said, in January of 2020, hundreds of them. Most of them still had liquid in there. They still had organs and things. Now, is this guy still living? Oh, no, no. He's been dead a long time. Okay. He's you said a go- it was 1940s? Uh, yes, probably in the late, I think, 47 or so. Okay. Would have been, been ironic if he died of cancer, but I don't know what he died of. And he didn't have his own elixir to take. I uh, know. Well, he was smart enough not to not to give it to himself. <laughs> I was looking at the uh, website, the Crescent Hotel website, and at Halloween, they're going to take some of these vials, these jars that they found, and get a, have a medium come in and perform a seance over the jars. Ooh, that's what you need to go to, Scotty. <laughs> I don't know about all that now. Now, there are lots of ghost stories. The first one involved an Irish stonemason from the uh, 1880s, and his name was Michael. He was a ladies' man. He liked to drink whiskey. He uh, liked the girls. And he was, uh, apparently he was hung over one morning, and he was up, working up high, fell off, and landed in, in uh, two, room 218 and broke his neck. People who stay in room 218 say that he's there. He likes women. And so women who stay there talk about getting touched during the night. He is uh, a disembodied hand stroking their hair at night. He's a, a frisky ghost. He's frisky. <laughs> yes. There is a little girl who has been seen on the third floor. And she bounces a ball, too, but she's not happy, apparently. She has this. People get close enough to her, they can see that she's frowning. A little boy, his name was Brecky Thompson, and he shows up on the fourth floor. What's their connection to the hotel? I mean, did they used to live there? Did they visit there? I mean, why well, are they, their no, ghosts uh, the, present there? They all had cancer, and they all died. Oh, Okay. They he were did. all victims of... Yeah, okay. yeah victims of, uh, of Dr. Baker, and they, uh, they're not happy. My favorite is a woman named Theodora. She died in uh, died 80 years ago, died in 1940. I guess one of the last people to die there. Her room is 419, and she is a fastidious ghost. That's a word I like to throw out to my well, I'm going to have to go ahead and ask for a definition, because I have no clue what that means. Fastidious means... 
very prim and proper. Okay. Very, very concerned about her appearance, very organized. And she does not like guests who are sloppy. So if you go into room 419 and you just fling open your suitcase and take all your belongings and throw them all over the bed and leave, well, when you come back, you'll find that your suitcase has been packed. And there was one guy who said that it was not only was the suitcase packed, it was sitting outside the door. She was ready she for wanted him. him gone. Oh, yeah, she was ready for him to say goodbye. Now, on the third floor, there is a nurse who pushes a gurney. 11 o'clock at night, and they hear the squeak, squeak, squeak of the wheels of the gurney. And she's not happy either. So is the Crescent Hotel just strictly for ghost tours now? It's no longer all of these things. Oh, no, no, no. It, they, they exploit their ghost stories. But it's, it, it's a real hotel. People go there for the uh, ambiance. For the, uh, it is a luxurious hotel. And if you want to be up in the mountains there and surrounded by the beauties of nature, it's a great place to go. But if you like ghost stories, it's an even better place to go. Now, Marilyn and I stayed there a year ago this past July. And we were in, uh, he built an, an addition to it. And this is where he housed the terminally ill patients, the really bad ones. And he separated them from the ones who weren't in the last stages of cancer. We were on the third floor in a room where a lady in a white dress has been seen, and she died in that room. Marilyn and I did everything you're supposed to do if you want to communicate with a ghost. So we we had an EVP session, and I took had my voice recorder out and turned off the lights and asked the standard questions. Why are you here? What is your name? Are you happy here? Do you like being here? That sort of thing. Didn't get anything. And then we... Uh, did the flashlight test where you take a, a mag light and you barely turn it off. You twist, twist the cap, barely turn it off, set it on a, on the mantle and ask questions. You set the ground rules. You tell them if the answer is yes, turn it on. We didn't get anything. Well, desperation just walked around, started snapping pictures, hoping that we'd get an orb. Nope, no orbs. Well, we weren't happy because According to the ghost tours, just about everybody who goes there has something happen to them. Nothing happened to us. So uh, that was a Friday night. Well, Saturday morning, I got our suitcases and walked out and loaded them up in the car. Came back. Now, Marilyn was sitting in a chair in front of a coffee table, and she had our Yeti glasses on the coffee table. Well, I saw Marilyn's. I didn't see mine. I said, where's my Yeti glass? She said, well... She was sitting here, sitting there, kind of looking at her phone. All of a sudden, my glass flew off the coffee table and landed about six or seven feet away. She's my ghost magnet. She's the one that is sensitive. Yeah, I remember you telling us about her. But she also, she had breast cancer a couple years ago, recovered from it. But she thinks that she created a bond formed this bond with the ghost of this woman who died of cancer in that room. So that's why she didn't bother Marilyn's bottle, but apparently she doesn't like men because of Dr. Baker, so she tossed mine across the room. So you, without a shadow of a doubt, saw a cup fly across the room? I did not. Marilyn did. Marilyn did. 
But she saw it. She saw it. Without a shadow. Oh, no. It happened to her. It happened. And I try, I believe her. She's a, she's a retired math teacher. Uh, in fact, when she tells the story, her voice breaks. So if you want a ghostly experience and you want to spend some time in a, a beautiful historic hotel, go, go up there. Go into town, too. They have, you can see some of these uh, mineral springs around the town. Is that most of the ghost stories dealing with that place? Uh, except for a uh, switchboard. There's a switchboard that uh, hasn't been used for years, but people, guests have said that they would receive phone calls from that switchboard. And it happened so often that they removed it from the hotel and is now in the uh, a little museum down there. Whether you believe in ghosts or not, the stories are fascinating. You've heard the tales of the headless horseman, and you've also heard the stories that hit a little closer to home, like the face in the window in Carrollton, Alabama. We've brought up two great places to visit if you want to see for yourself, Waverly Heights and Eureka Springs, Arkansas, that scary hotel. Dr. Alan Brown will join us again next week as we'll travel to Vicksburg to talk about the scariest places in town and also the meanest ghosts that exist there. Then we'll head off to Gettysburg to tell you about a few places there to go visit. And the last point I'd like to make this week is, well, how do you know when you meet a southern ghost? Well, they'll open the door for you instead of slamming the door. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and will continue to listen more. We promise to provide stories that intrigue you, provide a little humor, reflect our heritage and culture, whether it's strange and alarming. Please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Let us know whether you liked or disliked. Do you have a story to share? If so, we'd like to hear from you. Please email us at comments at secretsfromthesouth.com and provide a brief description of your story along with contact information and we'll be in touch. Until next time, well, you know a secret. Well, now you've probably learned to leave the light on like Tombo did. Oh,